everyone. Uh, welcome to A Perspectives. I'm Martina, and this is Lissette. Um, Thank you all for joining in today, whether you're watching video or you're listening on either spy of oh, I was about to say a spot of tunes, Spotify and an iTunes as well. Um, so we are very happy here to have uh, a special guest with us as we continue our conversation around healthcare in America. Um, we have Carmen and depending on where you are in the video uh, and she's waving. So everyone that's watching on video, you can see her lovely wave. Um, we've had, um, different different people from different different backgrounds that um, will speak or have spoken again depending on where you are in listening and watching to the to the content and Carmen we really you know we want to just get into her background and you know she really works on the uh, administrative side of of healthcare and so I know I'm excited to ask you some questions and I know I know Lisette it as well because that's where I think maybe the bulk of people don't always understand all of the administrative things that happen uh, behind the scenes. Um, so before we turn it over to uh, Carmen, Lisette, I'll let you do any welcomes or anything you'd like to do. Yeah, no, I am really excited. I've known Carmen for quite a few years now. Um, and I think I'm really just excited to kind of learn a little bit more about her background. Like I know what she's been doing since <laughs> I met her, but I, you know, just kind of hear a little bit uh, before that. But I think as you mentioned, Martina, I think it's going to be a really great conversation uh, on more of the administrative side. I know we have talked a little bit about some of the topics that that might come up, uh, uh, you know, around, you know, just, just uh, healthcare insurance, when you think about like Medicaid and, and things like that. So it'd be really interesting. I know mental health is another topic that we might hit uh, as well. But, you know, I think just to kind of kick us off, Carmen, I'll kind of just throw it to you and let you kind of introduce yourself to to our audience and tell us a little bit about about you but you know just sort of like your you know your educational background like where you kind of come in uh and how you kind of landed sort of in the healthcare you know professional mm -hmm. field sure well thank you so much Lizette and martina for the warm welcome it's good to be here with you uh, thank you so much for the invitation and the opportunity to be here and just share some you know exchanges on you know background in healthcare but also like you know what I'm looking forward to and because healthcare is in a huge transformational state right now. So thank you so much for helping me uh, also get through the thought process because I think um, having outside perspective is also um, very appreciated because we don't always know, um, you know the perspective from the outside as well. So it helps to inform us. Um, at the same time. So thank you so much. Uh, so I um, grew up in Chicago on the Southwest side. Um, I grew up in Little Village uh, and grew up there and my, almost my whole entire adult life. I um, lived in Little Village, so it's definitely a place that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I am a nurse by training and went to school um, at UIC and then uh, spent a little bit of time there and then um, really, as I started to practice as a nurse, which I did for a short period of time, I really started thinking about the prevention lens, like how can we prevent certain conditions from actually happening and occurring. So I really got interested in the preventive uh, public health um, space. And so I went to uh, the UIC School of Public Health and got my MPH there, um, specifically in community health and in maternal child health, because that is a special uh, population of interest for me. And after um, being in the field for a number of years, um, I found a role at a NEPQHC here in Chicago on the Southwest side, 
um, Esperanza Health Centers. And uh, I've been at the organization for a little over 10 years in a number of different roles. Uh, first as a quality coordinator and then as a director of quality and now as chief operating officer uh, and have been CEO for the past uh, four years. And it's been an incredible ride. I think every year that I've been there, I describe it as dramatically and traumatically different from the year before, just because so much has happened in those past 10 years. Uh, but uh, healthcare continues to change and I'm along for the ride right now, just, you know, trying to make sure that I do what I can to be thinking equitably for our community um, and, and even just really for the city. And so that's that's where I'm, I am right now. And so um, I'm happy to dive into anything more specific that you'd like to chat about. Awesome. Yeah, I, I saw Martina sort of wave her hands and move her hands up when you said UIC. Mm -hmm. um, I know you went there. <laughs> I did. I got my I got my uh, MPH as well, and I was policy and um, administration. But almost all of my friends were all in a community health, <laughs> so I spent I spent a lot of time on that floor and and with that group of friends. So I definitely were definitely familiar with with UIC. Mm -hmm. I think uh, if you are working in public health in Chicago, you're definitely going to be amongst colleagues who also like to. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Definitely, especially when I was doing my work on, on the West Side, as most of us, well, all of us mm -hmm. uh, have worked or you two continue to work on the West Side. Um, I've met so many, like, you know, after we graduate or after we graduated, it was not the end. And so I've, I've seen so many of them. And sometimes there's like a little a little cohort of us mm -hmm. that are just there. I was like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen you since. So it's definitely, you know, true. And I think as big as Chicago is, it's definitely small at times, you know, it's just, you know, especially once you get your get your cohort and your, and your group of friends. Um, well, thank you so much, Carmen, for that, for that great introduction. I did not know that you grew up in Little Village. That's one of my favorite neighborhoods. I'm so excited to hear you say that. Um, but really, I guess, you know, I'm trying to think. I want like, should I just dive right into it, Lisette? Or what are you, you know? I mean, I, mean, I think one of the things that I, I was curious, and, and, and this was me thinking on, on, on the ride back to, to the yes. house morning, uh, I was kind of thinking, I'd love to just hear from you, uh, Carmen, a little bit about um, the educational sort of side of healthcare. Um, and particularly because I think Martina and I talked a, a little bit of like, you know, when you think about health equity and, and sort of what you kind of learn as you're becoming a health professional, uh, you know, and you don't go get an MPH, right? You don't go and, and do that and you're sort of just straight into like the nursing field doctor and things. You know, do did you get a sense of there being, you know, as you're learning about, you know, being a nurse and, and you know, healthcare professional, mm -hmm. like, is, are there, you know, biases or things that kind of come through or just the way that, you know, you don't think about culturally where a person is at, you know, where it's not just health isn't just the numbers you might see on paper, but it's obviously your environment, right? And, uh, and sort of your culture and sort of things like, are those things missing from sort of the educational system when it comes to sort of thinking of healthcare? Like if that's sort of where my head is at. So mm -hmm. it kind of, while it's fresh in my mind, I just want to mm -hmm. kind of pick your brain a little bit. If you feel like some of that is missing mm -hmm. when people go into a healthcare field and you're learning and you just kind of learn mm -hmm. in a very, I don't know, you know, white centric kind of lens mm -hmm. versus some of the diversity that does exist in our country. 
Yeah, well, I think, well, that's a big, a big question. Uh, and I think it's a really good, interesting question to ask, because as I think back to my own training as a nurse, um, when I um, was in the cohort of my nursing group, we were about, about maybe 85 to 90 students who started together, and five of us were of Latinx uh, background. Mm -hmm. And that is just a, it speaks to the number of uh, people of color who are getting into uh, the healthcare field in terms of the academic side. And we were, we were only five and it really felt uh, like we stood out for sure. Like I think um, it was something where uh, I felt the difference in my classroom where, you know, most people um, just really were focused on like the science behind healthcare and you know, looking at how do we learn, um, and I sometimes memorize of pharmacology and anatomy and physiology. Um, and you have essentially two years of nursing of school to learn everything and very little space to really understand like the cultural aspects of healthcare. Um, there's even little space to really uh, talk about like leadership role in healthcare because and many clinicians end up being um, leaders within their hospitals or healthcare systems, um, but didn't really receive that type of uh, training in leadership or even really business because healthcare is a business. Um, it took me a really long time to make peace with that because as somebody who trained to help people, it was really hard for me to um, make peace with the fact that healthcare is a business, but it really is. And especially now being in the administrative side, you see that very prominent. So just knowing how many students um, were allowed to be part of um, the healthcare system through um, the, being able to go through the educational process and being able to then get their licensure um, once they finish nursing school. And it's, it's the same at med schools and in other um, um, allied health uh, systems as well. <clears throat> so that right there is like your first, that this, the, the programs are not really built to address that. And, Part of that also is who's teaching in these courses. So the teaching um, professors, at this point, it's a requirement that you have a PhD in order to uh, be able to teach a class in nursing school. So if you start looking at and digging into who has a PhD in nursing, that also starts to influence uh, what you're being taught, uh, which also then contributes to the um, the there's such few spaces and spots in nursing schools because the programs just don't have enough people to teach because of this requirement that's placed there. So that's a, really a systemic issue that should be looked at because we're really um, not uh, bringing in sufficient, the number of students that are interested in being part of the nursing program because of the limitations in the program. So that's definitely something that I think is contributing to the nursing shortage um, and the shortage of uh, Spanish speaking people, people who identify um, as Latinx uh, and, you know, just other, other communities um, in general. So uh, I definitely think that once you're in practice, because you haven't had the cultural bias um, into your programming, then of course, you don't, you're not really looking into um, what, what some of your biases, how that might affect the care that you're providing. And so that's something that's very prominent. And it's really hard for healthcare professionals to admit that because, you know, you go into this field to help people. You um, assume best intentions. And, and, and it's true. I think, you know, for the, by and large, the, everybody who I've met in healthcare that's a clinician 
really has that good intent to want to help, uh, but still hasn't um, been taught to check their bias at the door and how, um, and to really understand how biases might affect the care that they're providing. Um, and I think there was a recent study that came out recently that uh, when looking at um, electronic medical records, the words used to describe behavior for um, people who identify as black or uh, who are black is different from people who are white. So you'll see words more like um, non-compliant um, or just uh, words like that that are more negative connotation. And so you see that, you know, just from the way uh, documentation occurs in, in medical charts. And so it's, um, I I think the silver lining is that this conversations are starting to happen and that, you know, the healthcare field is starting to look closely at how our biases really do um, affect the care that we provide. Oh, Carmen, you such, it was so, so much there. You talked about <laughs> like healthcare as a business, but then you yeah. also, I mean, you're, you're absolutely teaching me a lot of new stuff. I did not know that in order to teach nursing, you have to have a PhD. Um, I didn't, has that, has that always been the requirement or is that something fairly new? You know, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I do know that if you want to be, um, if you want to teach in the classroom, that's the requirement. But if you are on the floor helping and precepting a student, uh, during one of their uh, field practicums, that's not a requirement there. Uh, so that allows for you to be able to teach like in the hospitals because students do have to have practicum and they have to be able to have that time with patients and that's not required, but in the classroom, that's where it is. And so do you feel that's been a hindrance to maybe students of color or, you know, cause you know, I think, I think you touched on, you know, it is nice to see people who look like you, identify with you, or have that similar background. So have you, you know, seen that or just, you know, when you were in school at that time, did you notice any kind of differences among, among, the, um, among the students of color who were, who were pursuing a nursing degree? I think so. I think that you are walking into a classroom with sort of your guard up, like not sure, like how much you can, um, share in terms of like what your experience, your background is and how you viewed the healthcare system. I think that's always something that's not really discussed or that, um, that space isn't created in the classrooms. And I think that you're eliminating um, one because programs are created to, so that you learn as much as you can in the shortest period of time. Mm -hmm. So you're really focused on sort of like the science behind the persons and their, and their, um, you know, their, their clinical systems, but not really like, you know, the, the whole being. And that's, I think, where there's a huge miss, just in like the healthcare programming, educational system in general, where there's like this rush to kind of get students through the program, uh, but then you miss all these other factors that contribute to someone's well-being. And I think there's definitely a miss there. And, and yes, I think part of the biggest hindrance is that there are a lot of people who are interested in going to nursing school. Um, I work closely with uh, medical assistants who really want to go to nursing school. They want you know, to be able to advance um, their education, but there are very few spots for them to, to take. So it does get pretty competitive to get into nursing schools because you have very few um, spots that are open. And so they do sort of take like the cream of the crop, like the, the highest you know, students. And of course, we know that there are so many um, uh, reasons for why some people are the cream of the crop. And so I think that that is a big, you know, that's a problem there. And when you look at the interest um, 
people want to go to nursing school um, and the spots are just not sufficient to make up for the people who are retiring or for the people who um, are leaving because you know they're burned out or whatever it might be. And so that cycle, it's just like perpetuating itself for there to be a continuous cycle of a nursing shortage. There's so much that's not even taken into consideration. Uh, I'm fascinated. I would say that I'm shocked, but I'm not shocked to hear that. Um, well, the set, feel free to jump in and ask, ask some questions. Yeah, no, I think- A lot here, yeah. I, there's just so, so much bad. to like, I know there's so much to unpack from what you just said in this short amount of time. <laughs> Uh, one of the, you know I, I think about sort of when I think about nursing I, I I remember when I you know when I was in high school just a few years ago just a few years ago when I was in high school but you know I remember like sort of the targeted audience was sort of you know Latinx and Black you know students to be like you know pursue you know a health you know health healthcare mm -hmm. profession you know pursue you know start as a medical assistant then you can get to being a nurse but to hear that there's this sort of uh pipeline that's very little to get to nursing like I never even knew that like even to this day like I didn't realize how uh you know coveted maybe like the spots you know and, and how little mm -hmm. they are like because I remember that was sort of what people were saying, like, hey, you can go into, you can start as a medical assistant and mm -hmm. then you can become a nurse and you'll be making so much money. Like that was sort of just what mm -hmm. you heard. Like, yeah. I remember people were pushing me and I was like, I, I was like, I knew I wouldn't want to be in the health because I was blood and all of that is not my <laughs> my thing. But, I, but, you know, I had friends who, who tried, who went, you know, I had people that I knew that were like, well, you know, maybe I'll try it out. And it's, mm -hmm. it just became hard because they're like, there's, you it's so competitive that if you don't get certain you know scores or, or grades and you're not getting that and you're not mm -hmm. showing like you know I think about like a law school right like there's so much you have to get in order to get to those things but it's like I didn't realize mm -hmm. that and it was just one of those things where I remember and I still think that those that field is targeted towards you know black and brown uh individuals mm -hmm. to like pursue but if you and don't, you don't let them in right <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and typically women, and it's like, uh, but if you don't know what's on the other side of the curtain, like, mm -hmm. are you, you know, you're gonna be disappointed, and you're gonna, you know, be upset. So yeah, that was just one of the things that just kind of came to mind as you were talking, Carmen, because I was like, oh my god, we were targeted to 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 get mm -hmm. into these fields, and I see so many, you know, Latinx and Black individuals as medical assistants. Mm -hmm. Yeah but I don't see them in the nursing realm. Mm -hmm. And I, now I kind of get a- And you know, you always, and you always hear that, you know, oh, we have a shortage. There's a shortage of nurses in the field. And now, you know, you understand more listening to you as to why do we have this shortage when we could definitely be closing this gap, but mm -hmm. that's not, it doesn't sound like that's happening mm -hmm. yet. And then that's like a whole other conversation about investment in higher higher education and where do you start and how do you create these um, these pipelines to give folks the opportunity to have a, a place in their scene. It's a very rewarding place. I think you know you know most people you know they want to be able to help people. They just really are intrigued by and of course the science behind it, but also wanting people to be healthy and it's a very respectable uh, a field. And I think people do have pride and joy in being a nurse and, you know, the, the pay is also like, you know, fair living wage, of course. And so I think um, that we're missing an opportunity there to really address, you know, the healthcare needs um, of an aging population. 
um, and the um, living you know wage situation for so many um, uh, black and brown people. And so I really hope that uh, that that starts that's part of the healthcare transformation that we're in the middle of right now. And another thing you, when you said, you know, you have to have a PhD to teach sort of in nursing. Mm -hmm. And I think about like the pool of black and brown individuals who go and pursue a PhD or who are able to pursue a PhD. Mm -hmm. because that is a, a commitment. Like I think I know very few uh, black and brown people who have PhDs, like in my mm -hmm. circle, you know, and I mean, I, and it's like, I can't even imagine, like, because if you don't have, you know, that black and brown perspective in that field mm -hmm. teaching it, then how do you even change sort of that educational, you know, kind of system to kind of start including the mm -hmm. cultural thing when you don't have that pool of people to also mm -hmm. be able to mm -hmm. do that? It's just another thing. Yeah, and I wouldn't, I don't think it's necessarily unique to nursing. Uh, right. I, no, yeah, yeah, no, 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 mm -hmm. right which is something that also I think is really telling about, um, I, mean, I don't know about like beyond healthcare, but in public health, it's similar. You know, you do have that PhD too, mm -hmm. to teach and that's also problematic. That's so true. Mm -hmm. That's so true because a lot of individuals have the PhD or they have a, a DRPH. Mm -hmm. um, that's like another one, but that that's so true because now that I think back through some of my training and even some of my uh, peers, some of them have gotten uh, PhDs, but again, I can, I can count on one hand how many of them of, of, uh, of color, yep. uh, which, you know, again, goes back to this uh, systemic issue. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, that was just such a good sort of- Opening, that was, yeah, that was a really opening. good- I, I, You know, you don't, and that's why I, I'm glad I asked the question because I was like, I wanted to kind of get that perspective in. And, and the thing that I think you mentioned when you said healthcare is a business, yeah, that's it. That's that I, I, I know I was talking to Martina about like how I'm starting to grapple with that in sort mm -hmm. of under and sort of you know understanding and being sort of enraged by it, but also like mm -hmm. okay, what like there has to be something we can do because um you know with kind of going through this uh healthcare kind of crisis with my dad who if you, if you all don't know the audience like he fell a few months back and he's sort of been uh you know had surgeries in the hospital and sort of the the nursing rehab center he's at now but you know looking at sort of there was a story I told in another episode where you know he had an appointment and my sister took him and they were like well he has a balance from like 2014 so we can't see him unless you pay that balance mm -hmm. and I know my sister called me she texted she's like I paid it but it was like it was we didn't even know about it and it's and like, it wasn't even two hundred dollars was it it no, was like it, it wasn't, wasn't even yeah it was like a hundred or 150 and it was just one of those things where like they you know you see a person as a dollar sign Mm -hmm. right and particularly if you're obviously if you look at the private practice and hospitals and I know there's there's you know FQHCs and their free and tribal clinics who kind of have that sort of safety net for people to be able mm -hmm. to afford but even then like if something major happens to you and you have to end up at a hospital you still have to pay mm -hmm. a you know significant amount and it's like and it was it's just these last few months where I've grappled with that and that healthcare is a business and mm -hmm. you know how you know, even when you have health insurance, 
just the 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 you know the different loops you have to like jump and hoops you have to go through to get something covered or you know like Mm -hmm. especially if you're underinsured you know if you're underinsured mm -hmm. that is and that's where my dad was at like you know he's just had medicare and it was like well you know you can only be here for this long or if he doesn't meet this requirement he won't get covered and i'm like mm -hmm. what are you talking he is an elderly man take care of him that's all you have to do but because there's this lens of you know it is a business uh but i want to dig into that so i don't I like i just wanted to kind of share a little bit of that for me of what it what i've started to see and then kind of grasp mm -hmm. on my own uh, you know, experience with healthcare. I think maybe a place to to start, which is usually like a a, a workshop that I'll do with some of the new staff members who join us um, at at our FQHC, because I want them to also have an understanding of why we do things the way we do, uh, the reasoning behind it, and often it's because you know uh, there is a lot of. Um, you know, financial uh, reasons why we have to do things in a certain way. So one of like the biggest, um, at least when I first started, um, was that our medical visits are 15 minutes long. And I always wondered like, why 15 minutes? Like why, why is that the amount of time given to a medical provider um, or, you know, a nurse practitioner to work with a patient? Like 15 minutes goes by so fast. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And it turns out that uh, for the most part, uh, 15 minutes is the most that you can give to really meet the bottom line of the day. So when you have somebody who's working eight hours, you divide that by 15 minutes, that's X number of patients. So that's the uh, amount that you will, the number of patients that you could bill for uh, based on how many patients have insurance. So when you get that revenue in, uh, because you submitted those insurance claims, that revenue helps pay for the salaries, it helps pay for the you know the light the gas the supplies you know everything that goes with you know operating uh, a clinic or a hospital uh, and so if you deviate from that 15 minutes that does then affect your bottom line because you're seeing fewer patients per day and so that's just really a math a, a math problem um, and so that's something that that's very little wiggle room to change that because otherwise you're going to have to cut somewhere and I think one of the biggest issues is that most insurances, they, they only pay for certain things. So they'll definitely pay for a clinical provider to uh, do an evaluation on you. Uh, they'll they'll uh, pay for you know, certain medications, but they won't really pay for the services that surround the patient um, and give the patient the opportunity to be healthy. So for example, nursing, it doesn't get reimbursed uh, for, for us at the community health center. So we have nurses, nurses do work, but we can't bill for the work that the nurses do. So that right there is a value statement. What insurances are willing to pay for? They're willing to pay for the doctor. They're not willing to pay for the nurse. We also don't get paid for our community health workers. So we have community health workers who are you know, out in the field, enrolling patients into benefits. Um, they're doing a lot of um, HIV prevention um, and outreach. And those are services that we don't get paid for. We have to go out and look for grants to help us you know, uh, subsidize those positions. And so if you really like to narrow down to what insurances are really 
willing to pay for. It's just certain services. And it really is really telling about, you know, what services they value. And even if you go to the hospital, if you ever get an explanation of benefits, you see all the line items of the things that yeah, they're charging you for, you won't see nursing on there. Because nursing isn't, isn't a line item that they'll cover. It's sort of like just part of like room and board, but you'll see the physician's name on there. Uh, you'll see um, like x-ray, like those diagnostics, but you don't really, you don't see like nursing services there, but that is like a major cost and a big part of, you know, the care that's delivered in hospitals. So even if you look at how the structure of reimbursement, um, I mean, there could be cl entire classes on how insurance uh, reimburses for services, but that right there is just kind of like uh, some of the factors that we have to take into consideration when creating a budget and what we're allowed to do um, during the fiscal year because we know what services will get paid for and which ones we want. Carmen, oh my God. I mean, I already think insurance is trash. I mean, and the thing is like, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, but I am fortunate enough to to have insurance. So I should say that I'm very fortunate. But so if if items, you know, uh, regarding nursing and other other services are not included, who's paying that? Is it the organization? Is it the patient? Is it is it both? Well, that's why you have 15 minutes per patient because you have to also use whatever overage you have to subsidize the care that's being provided. Oh. Uh, and there's also, um, you know, we have private you know, funders, you know, who, you know, philanthropic organizations that, you know, we apply for grants. And then in our case, for example, we're an FQHC. So uh -huh. we um, get uh, funding from the Health and Resources Service Administration. Uh -huh. So those are guaranteed dollars that we get. And that helps us uh, subsidize also care for uninsured patients because uh, the cost of care for us to deliver for every patient, regardless of insurance status, it ends up being about $140 to $160 per visit. Uh, but a patient who's uninsured, um, we have to, uh, you know, that we offer them a sliding scale fee and most patients qualify to pay $30 per visit. So we have to then use those dollars to cover the rest of the cost of the patient's care. So um, a patient will pay $30 for their care, but it really costs us like 140 to provide care. Once you take into consideration the cost of the salaries, supplies, and just like all of the technology, like laptops, just all the stuff that, that's yeah. part of the operations. Um, so we always have to be able to predict almost how many patients we're going to be seeing uh, so that we understand what will be coming in and what won't and also so that we can inform grant funders and say like this is what we have enough for this is what we don't but we really need it because this makes an impact on the patient's care so that's it there's those are all the behind the scenes things that are happening that you don't see like at the front desk and you don't see it in the exam room but making the bottom line meet is really like the the responsibility of like the administrative staff to make sure that that we're operating that we're open that we're not going bankrupt I said I see you want to jump in I was like I know you want to jump in I saw I saw you like she's probably writing down like I want to ask her well, I was, no I, I put like structure of reimbursement because it, it, it's such uh to hear that you know nursing isn't a line item to I reimburse know. when nurses do so much yeah. like mm -hmm. I was like the doctor sees you for like this but 
your care like it's i mean when i think about in a hospital like it's the nurse that comes in and and, and checking you and you know it's usually they're the ones you know checking your blood pressure and 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 Mm -hmm. doing all these things and recording your numbers and all you know and so it's just you know sort of that's why i was like my mind is blown by that just that Mm -hmm. just even that thing because you know i know I know how much, you know, how much nurses do, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, with kind of just knowing a, a lot of, uh, a lot of you and it just kind of, and it's like, wow, for, mm-hmm. especially like when I think of like an FQHC, you know, your community health centers, having to go and get those private funds and those grants mm-hmm. to kind of just cover. Piece it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be able to like ensure that you have the staff that you need, that you have mm-hmm. everything you need because you're only reimbursed for this thing because insurance is just, mm-hmm. it's just a small portion. So like, mm-hmm. you know, to understand that and even as someone who, who was involved in, in the FQC and not really understanding sort of like, wow, there's this huge, why we're pushing so hard to raise these funds? Like, you know, I never, I quite never understood. Maybe it was my fault for never really asking or kind of doing that. But I was like, oh, now I get it. Like, this is why, because mm-hmm. you don't hear, again, uh, that's right. why I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation mm-hmm. today because mm-hmm. I'm learning so much about what it takes to even run Mm-hmm. you know uh, just a business key, yeah uh, like, the business like, side. like uh, you know just the, yeah. the actual the business side of things mm-hmm. to to even be able to provide you know the, the care you do and I know the health center that you're at and and, and sort of the quality of because then you have to think about the quality of care mm-hmm. and, and and now I understand why there's so much uh differences in quality mm-hmm. of care throughout you know depending on communities even the health center you go to because if you're not able to meet or able to mm-hmm. raise or get the funds to cover things something mm-hmm. has to give right and they, and yeah. they think about that and I'm like so I'm, yeah. my, my brain is just processing everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it, it it gets even like deeper and I think there's only like like this certain like level that that really that I think I see from like my perspective, but it definitely, you know, goes even beyond that. But um, this, you know, we always have to make ends meet um, and also be like an economic, you know, engine. Like if we're an organization and we have 300 staff members, we want to be a good employer. We want to make sure that we're offering living wages. We want to make sure that we're offering benefits just so that everybody feels like, you know, I can do my best during these hours that I'm at work without worrying that I don't have insurance or without... I'm worrying that I don't have a 401k that I'm contributing to now. But really, uh, aside from like the provider and the nurses, we also have to find uh, the dollars to pay for our call center and to pay for our front desk and for like the the, the um, training team, just to make sure that all of those folks who are part of the system, who are part of the, the care team also, uh, we need to make sure that we're taking care of them because we can't operate without them. Uh, and so as an FQHC, we are considered a safety net. Uh, and part of our status, you know, we get, you know, funding every year to run and operate. And part of um, our requirement is that we see patients who have Medicaid. So um, private, you know, offices, they don't have to see, you know, anybody who they don't want to see. So oftentimes they will turn away patients who have Medicaid because the reimbursement isn't the best uh, and they don't really get reimbursed um, in a timely fashion. They'll get reimbursed months and months after the fact. So when certain places can turn away patients with 
Medicaid, that begins to limit where they can seek services. Mm -hmm. So you see uh, a um, disproportionate number of patients with Medicaid going to those places that are already the safety nets, um, the places that are all that are under resourced just by nature of being a safety net. So you start to see that they um, fall into care at places that have the least amount of resources to provide that care. And so that really also becomes a slippery slope in the ability to offer high quality care when you have such a huge volume of patients who are coming to see you because of the insurance that they hold. So it's just, um, it's, it turns into this like just snowball of just inequity that like, ends up with the patients. You know, Carmen, you hit on like, you know, a Medicare and Medicaid, which I think a large percentage of the country we have people who, who have uh, either one or the other or, they're, or they um, are dual. And, you know, you mentioned something about uh, for those clinics who, you know, who can turn away those patients. And it just makes me think about um, patients who maybe have to wait or who are waitlisted and how that, I think, again, going back to that quality of care, just, I think, thinking about my own situation with my father, who is currently having some, uh, eye issues and he has Medicare and he has Medicaid, but because of where I found him actually an appointment because it was taking uh, forever to get him in someplace. And the one place that I was trying to get him into, they didn't accept Medicaid, but they accepted his Medicare. And so somehow he ended up there. Well, he ended up there because my sister brought him there, but because he didn't have his card, they wouldn't see him. And so my sister had to go through the process of trying to get him another car that's going to take about a four to six weeks before it arrived. And so she ended up getting the, uh, she got the letter in the mail saying that the card is coming and has his information. And she actually called the eye, the um, eye doctor back. And it's like, you know, the card's on its way. I have the letter saying that it's coming. Can we uh, make this appointment? And they said, no, they want the actual card for him to have it. Mm -hmm. I I found that so bizarre. I've never really encountered Mm -hmm. that. And I remember telling Mm -hmm. Lissette about that. And, you know, I have my own opinion about, about this, Mm -hmm. about this private place. And, you know, um, I think there are other, other reasons as to why he could not make his appointment, but it just made me think of that and how, you know, private, these uh, private clinics, you know, they have that option where it's like, oh, you know, and I, I know they told my dad, well, oh, we can still see you, but it's going to be a $300. And that's just for a basic consultation. Mm-hmm. That's not even to tell him what's going on with his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really is hard. And it's probably this clinic trying to <laughs> protect themselves because if they see this patient where they don't have actual proof, the insurance company will deny that claim and they are just unwilling to take that risk. Okay. And then who is the person who gets affected? The patient. Yeah. It's like the patient who carries that burden of the systems just not being um, efficient and the you know the private office saying like, no, we're not, we're not willing to take that risk. And they have the ability to like turn somebody away. It's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really what you what you describe there is what's playing out. And they're just like, no, we want to make sure before we move forward. And it's just like, that's not how healthcare should be. Well, as I always said, that's not how healthcare should be. So I think that that's been what I keep saying. Like, how is this, how is this the world that we live in or the society that we're in here in the United States where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you want to get the care, especially as someone who's, 
sort of, you know, the one that takes her parents to appointments and, and does this and I, you know, share that responsibility with my, my sister. And, and it's interesting, I think I shared a little bit that my sister never really understood sort of what the healthcare world is. And mm-hmm. I've had glimpses of it because of the work that I do. And just to see her kind of like understand and come to the realization that our healthcare um, is, and it's, I mean, just to kind of put it bluntly, like it's just trash in a lot of places. Like it's just, you know, just the access to it and just the, the, the barriers that are put in there when you are uninsured and underinsured and mm-hmm. you add on top of it that you're a person of color you know you add on top of it that you might not speak the language and you have all these barriers that are coming through and you're and then you you know that there's biases of like people wanting to you know who just see you and they're like oh that person probably doesn't have the health care uh, coverage <laughs> that that is that would you know cover everything and you know let's just deny it and, and all these things so it's just so um it's, it's been eye-opening but even just to hear you talk Carmen about just sort of the behind the scenes and and what's kind of been happening what happens behind the scenes it's just been such a a learning journey for me to, right just of the last you know like I don't know like half hour that we've been talking or so like it's just the the, the small amount and just what I've learned and then kind of just seeing that just gives me so many more glimpses as to what are some of the the bigger issues that mm-hmm. I didn't know existed. I just assume things, but mm-hmm. you know, but you know, not understanding it has just been crazy. It's like that's all I can say right now. I know it has been very mind blowing. I think let's say you touched on something too, but Carmen, you brought it up early about looking at the uh, electronic health records and seeing how they describe a black person. Yeah, I, I don't know if you use a uh, combative or non-compliant it was I think it Mm -hmm. I think that was the word and it's again like it's almost like you hear about these things but it's like until like you know actually hear it come out of your mouth that like wow this is really you know to me that's just a bias you know and Mm -hmm. again I think going back to the training that um, should be happening in nursing schools medical schools across the country they mm-hmm. should be getting this real life experience and dealing with all different sort of patients and just to hear that you know that's how they would describe someone of color it's just really it's really again mind-blowing and very and very upsetting it just makes me wonder would they use that same that same descriptor for a person who was not of color mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a, it's like the first study that I've seen that has looked at, it didn't say where or what institution or what health entity it was, uh, but it's, I think, a first look at how uh, folks uh, document and what their perspective is on the behavior of somebody, uh, whether or not they follow the recommended treatment plan without any indication of why perhaps they chose not to follow that. Um, mm-hmm. that, that medical plan, because there's a, a lot to dig into that. But then again, with 15 minutes to do that work, yep. you're also limited with that. And I think, um, by and large, I think that the intent is to be able to do what's do right by the patient. Um, but then if you have some other structural limitations that don't allow you to really also dig deep, I think you're kind of looking at surface level of the patients yeah. rather than digging deep into what really 
that could be happening. But then that's why you also have a care team. So that's something that like a community health worker could definitely drill into and you know connect with the patients and you know be able to as a peer to understand you know why they might have some um, apprehension for a treatment plan that's recommended. And so that's why you need like the entire team to help be part of the patient's yeah. care, but then that reimbursement isn't there to um, have a sustainability because you might have a good team of community health workers, but if the grant funding runs out, uh, then you have, you know, you don't have that consistency there. And of course that's problematic as well. And so there's just like so much that could be done to um, untangle all of this to uh, really, really look at the patient-centered approach, which is what we're, we're asked to do over and over and over, but have all of these barriers that really don't allow us to do that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good place so we can pick up and part two <laughs> of this, of this. Um, um, so yeah, Carmen, thank you again. Uh, mm -hmm. We're gonna start to transition over into uh, part two, but um, just wanna thank everyone who is listening and watching this. Um, this, like I said, this is really, really, really good things to hear. Um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of dumbfounded right now. So listen. <laughs> oh, I, I think this is a great, a great spot to kind of, and I'm sort of like, that patient-centered yeah. approach. And I think we can pick that up and what it really means and what are mm -hmm. some barriers to that and, and, and what does like health equity look mm -hmm. in general. I think those are things that I've been kind of grappling through this conversation and thinking of like how to continue. But Carmen, again, thank you for, mm -hmm. for being with us um, and, and sticking around with us for, uh, for mm -hmm. a part two. Um, those that are, are listening, thank you for, for tuning in. We will be back uh, with another episode with Carmen. So stay tuned and keep an eye out for that. Uh, please make sure to, to subscribe so that you're notified when the, these yeah. the next part come, comes up. Um, you know, if you have any you know, comments, questions, you know, you can reach us at, you know, Instagram and we have a Facebook page now. So make sure to kind of follow those two uh, so that you are kept in the loop and can reach us and, and any thoughts or, you know, topics that you'd like for us to explore in the future, please let us know. But again, thank you all. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you, Martina, for just kind of helping <laughs> us navigate this conversation too. So thank you and stay tuned and we will be back. All right. Bye, everybody.